While the playoffs didn't go as planned for Dan Quinn and the Cowboys, he very much remains a frontrunner for a number of coaching jobs. Should he be a favorite to replace Pete Carroll in Seattle? I'll be taking a look at where Dan Quinn could fit in a reunion in the Pacific Northwest on our Blue Friday edition of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings 12. This is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast, your daily Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. A happy Blue Friday to all of our listeners out there, whether you're listening in Butte, Montana or Madison, Wisconsin. Thank you for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. Going to kick off our end of season report card today with the most important position in football, the quarterback spot. How did Geno Smith and Drew Locke perform during the 2023 season? And we'll continue to peel back layers looking at two more candidates to replace Pete Carroll. One, a very familiar name, the one not so much coming from New York and previously coaching with the Kansas City Chiefs. It's a jam-packed Blue Friday episode that is coming your way courtesy of Prize Picks, the easiest, most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Go to prizepicks.com slash locked on NFL and use the code all lowercase locked on NFL for a first deposit match up to $100. Now from your lead story here on our Blue Friday edition of Locked On Seahawks. Ever since Pete Carroll, it was announced that he would be moving into an advisory role and his tenure as coach would end at 14 seasons. The first name that immediately cropped up as a favorite to replace him on the sidelines was Dan Quinn, who previously served two different stints in Seattle. He was on Carroll's staff during the 2010 season, a rare carryover from Jim Mora Jr. staff in 2009 left for the college ranks for a couple of years and then came back to replace Gus Bradley as the defensive coordinator for two seasons. Both of those seasons, 2013-2014, the Seahawks made the Super Bowl winning one. And of course, we remember how close they were to making it back-to-back and repeating as champs. But number one scoring defense both of those seasons. So obviously the familiarity, the ties to Pete Carroll and the Seahawks organization, it's understandable why Quinn is being viewed as one of those front runners for the position he's expected to interview in the next few days with the Seahawks. He's already interviewed with three other teams this week as well. So they are far from the only team competing potentially for his services. With that said, the Cowboys got absolutely smoked in the wild card round by the Green Bay Packers. And that one game has left a lot of fans feeling pretty skeptical. Skeptical. I can't even talk today pretty skeptical about where Dan Quinn fits as a potential replacement for Pete Carroll. And there's a set of numbers out there. I'm going to start with the negatives here. And this has kind of been something that's been floating around a little bit, but the Dallas Cowboys, as great as they were on defense this year, they finished fifth in scoring defense. They were in the top five in a number of other categories. They were able to really boost those stats, feasting on a lot of bad teams on their schedule. When they played against winning teams this year, nine games in the regular season, I did not include the playoff game against the Green Bay Packers on here. But if you look at those nine games, the Cowboys gave up north of 26 points per game. 
204 passing yards, 114 rushing yards per game. So we're talking almost 320 yards per game that the Cowboys were giving up. They only had 11 sacks, so a little over a sack per game in those nine contests, four interceptions, and this is maybe the most stark difference. The third down numbers, the Cowboys had one of the best third down defenses in the NFL this season until you dug into the games against winning teams. The Seahawks of all teams went 9 for 14 on third down against the Cowboys in a loss on Thursday night football. Dallas's offense won that game, but 46.9% of the third downs converted in those nine games against teams that ended with winning records. That is certainly not something that is going to jump out to fans who are looking for somebody to come in and boost this Seahawks defense that has been in the mid-20s the last two years under Clint Hurt. And, of course, with Pete Carroll as the head coach, has been one of the worst defenses giving up points in the NFL. But, Dan Quinn, let's get away from those nine games, and let's look a big picture here. Because I think, ultimately, when you are looking at a head coaching candidate, that's really what matters. You need to look at the big picture. You need to look at a larger sample size than just one game. Dallas's offense did not play very well in that game against the Green Bay Packers either. That was just an entire team meltdown. But if you look at the season stats for the Cowboys, fifth in scoring defense, 18 and a half points per game, fifth in passing yards, 16th, that's respectable enough in rushing yards, 46 sacks, 13th, pressure rate was 16th overall and finished 12th in turnovers. So most of these statistics are in the upper half of the NFL and where it really mattered, not giving up points, not giving up a lot of chunk plays in the passing game. And so that is why Dan Quinn very much remains on the radar, not just for the Seahawks, but a number of other teams that are still looking to fill their head coaching jobs because he does have a long track record of putting together really good defenses. All three years in Dallas, they finished at least seventh in scoring or better on defense. And so that is the type of consistency that teams are looking for. Unfortunately, it hasn't shown up in the playoffs. It hasn't shown up against these elite teams. The teams coached by Kyle Shanahan and coaches like that, Matt LaFleur, his understudy in Green Bay, he has not been able to scheme up against those guys. So that very much remains something that leaves a lot of fans skeptical in doubt about where he fits in. But still, it is difficult to hold opponents under 19 points per game for an entire season as the Cowboys did this year. They deserve, deserve credit for that. They were without one of their very best players for most of the season on the outside with Diggs getting injured, tearing his ACL in a practice. And what they do, they put in Deron Bland and he became an all-pro player. So you got to give a lot of credit to Dan Quinn for what he was able to do with this unit. He has developed a lot of really good young players there in Dallas. So I still think there's a lot of positives. And from a scheme standpoint, a lot of fans are going to point to the cover three usage and say, well, this feels like Pete Carroll light. And yes, the Cowboys were fifth in the league in cover three usage, but they also were in the top 10 in man cover one. And that's not something that we have seen very much from the Seahawks in recent years. So this is not going to be a carbon copy defense. And of course, this is based off of the personnel the Cowboys have. They can get away with doing that with the talent that they have on that side of the ball. You may see a shift in how the personnel and coverages are used in Seattle with a different set of players. But still, this is not completely Pete Carroll's defense. I feel like Dan Quinn has made some modifications the last couple of years to his defensive scheme to try to counter RPOs and some of the other things that modern NFL offenses are doing. 
running a little bit more man coverage. So it feels like there have been some adaptations since his years in Seattle, where this was a very cover three heavy team with the Legion of Boo, and they could get away with it. And so you've seen some change-ups with Dan Quinn. And I also think that it's worth noting when you look at the way that the Cowboys attacked opposing offenses, this is not a team that blitzed a lot. When you've got Micah Parsons, Demarcus Lawrence and, and company up front, you don't have to send extra rushers all the time, but there are very few teams in the league that are better at orchestrating stunts along the defensive line. And the Cowboys do it frequently and efficiently. They were second in stunt rate, first in stunt rate against the pass. You're not going to see many sim pressures. Maybe that changes up with the personnel being different in Seattle. But there's a different way of being aggressive if you're Dan Quinn. So the point I want to make here, obviously it's easy to put that one playoff game and those winning record games, the teams against winning records, you can put those stats up there and those can't be ignored. It's clearly evident that Dan Quinn's defense has not been able to step up against top competition at the same time. You expect you're going to give up more points per game when you're playing winning teams than losing teams. That kind of stuff balances out over the course of an NFL season. And you look big picture, the Cowboys have been one of the best defenses for three years in a row. Quinn is highly respected in the locker room. I think there's a lot of things beyond the X's and O's that have to be considered with him. So I don't know that he deserves to be in your top three candidates at this stage, if he knocks it out of the part in interviews, and obviously there's still some players there in Seattle, if they bring back Bobby Wagner, for example, that are going to be pining for him to be the coach because of his experience in Seattle and, and how successful they were on defense. At the same time, you have to look at the entire framework, uh, the entire resume that he brings. And while there's a lot of positives, there are certainly some red flags that jump out as well. And so the interview process is going to be big in determining just how much his locker room presence and the likability factor, his ability to build culture, how much is that going to play into picking him as a potential head coach? And so I very much expect that he is going to be in the mix here. So you're going to get him at least one interview, if not a second one, and we'll see what happens. I think he's still one of the top candidates for this job, but I do think that that playoff performance and the games against winning teams this year, those are things that John Schneider and other teams that are looking at Dan Quinn, I think are going to have to take a closer look at that to figure out whether he is the right fit at this stage for a second head coaching job. Coming up next, I'm going to shift to my end of season report card. Normally we hit this quicker coming out of the season, but with the coaching news out there, all the candidates we've been breaking down, haven't had a chance to get to that yet, but going to be diving into the quarterback play. Geno Smith, Drew Locke, we'll be taking a look at their grades, what went right, what went wrong. Coming up next here on our Blue Friday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This episode is brought your way by eBay Motors. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. eBay guaranteed fit. Only available 
to U.S. customers. This episode is also brought to you away by FanDuel. The NFL regular season has wrapped up and we are in the midst of the playoffs. There's still plenty of time to get in the action with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any $5 money line bet. That's right, $150. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get into the action than during the postseason. The app is so easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options that can easily be found in the spreads for the wild card or divisional games coming up this weekend. Player props such as Josh Allen's passing total against the Kansas City Chiefs, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and make your first bet a layup. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. You're listening to the Blue Friday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This is your host, Corbin Smith. A special thanks to all the 12s out there. Thank you, especially on this late Friday night, for tuning in and making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. And don't forget to check out Locked On is launched the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel on YouTube. Locked On Sports Today is here for your 24-7 coverage of the top sports stories of the day with local experts from Locked On and our national shows covering every league. Go to Locked On Sports Today on YouTube and subscribe to the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel. Shifting gears for a few minutes away from the coaching search. Obviously, that is the number one storyline in the Pacific Northwest right now. Who is going to replace Pete Carroll? We're going to take a close look at another potential candidate that is scheduled for an interview to replace Pete Carroll later in the show. But let's shift back to the 2023 season and kick off our annual end of season report card. And of course, we're going to start at the most important position on the field, and that is the quarterback position. Geno Smith got a three-year extension this past spring after winning comeback player of the year and making his first Pro Bowl. Drew Locke re-signed on a one-year deal as the backup, so Seattle decided to run it back with the same QBs that they had the season before. And while there were some things that ended up working out well, the numbers overall, especially for Geno Smith, were down across the board. His completion percentage down almost 5%. Passing yards down, touchdowns down significantly, did miss two games, so that played into that. So the numbers overall did not stack up, and there were a lot of other things at play here. Injuries across the offensive line impacted both the quarterbacks when they were in the game. In Geno Smith's case, he played behind nine different combinations of starting offensive linemen, so that certainly impacted his game as well as the running backs. Let's start off, though, with what went right in this position group. And I think it is worth noting first, even though Geno Smith early in the season, the big plays weren't coming. I remember that Rob Rang, my coach, and Crime and I, we were talking about this, I believe, going into the Bengals game after their bye week for the Seahawks, that Geno Smith was not getting the chunk plays, the big-time throws, as PFF calls them. He still finished second in that category this year because of a strong finish. Only Trevor Lawrence had more big-time throws this season. And you want to talk about big-time throws, how about Drew Locke, those two huge throws to end up beating the Philadelphia Eagles of 20-plus yards to DK Metcalf, the game-winning touchdown, of course, to Jackson Smith and Jigba. 
This remained a team that once the offense got clicking with the receivers they have, the deep ball, the big plays, that was still a strength for this football team. The second big thing for me as far as pluses for the Seahawks quarterbacks, the pocket presence, namely for Geno Smith, with all of the rotating that the Seahawks were playing on that offensive line. Geno Smith was the fifth most pressured quarterback in the NFL this year at north of 40%, and yet with that pressure per PFF, he threw eight touchdowns and only three interceptions. I thought late in the season when he was playing his best football in the last month, I thought that Geno Smith's pocket presence, his ability to maneuver the pocket and avoid pass rushers was absolutely masterful. He looked like an artist out there. It was as if that he had eyes all around the outside of his helmet, especially the Steelers game. He avoided so many big time pressures in his face from TJ Watt was able to evade him a couple times. There were a few times that Highsmith got in the backfield. Seahawks offensive line wasn't protecting him very well, but he was finding ways to extend plays and add extra time for his receivers to get open by maneuvering the pocket. And I just felt like that was really something special that Geno Smith was doing down the stretch. And I thought the Eagles game that Drew Locke did a really good job of moving the pocket as well. He was not as consistent in his limited playing time in that regard. But I think that is still the area where Geno Smith has improved the most. And of course, the game-winning drive, six combined game-winning drives. Geno Smith made history this year with seven go-ahead touchdowns in the fourth quarter of games. He's the only player in NFL history that has done that in a single season. Five game-winning drives. Drew Locke, it's his moment in the sun against the Eagles, and we saw the emotional post-game speech they had with Pam Oliver and just how far he has come to reach that point, being on the bench, getting another opportunity and seizing that chance. The Seahawks quarterbacks were absolutely clutch this year with six combined game-winning drives. So that stands out as one of the things that clearly went right for the Seahawks under center. As far as areas where there's concerns, Drew Locke, if you're looking to qualified quarterbacks that played a certain number of snaps, he was one of the worst in the league at uncorking turnover-worthy plays. And again, I know quarterbacks, Geno Smith has mentioned this before, he is not a fan of that statistic, but that is certainly one that I pay close attention to in PFF's charting because there are a lot of throws that could have been interceptions on bad decisions that ultimately are not picked off. Drew Locke had a 5.5% turnover-worthy play percentage. Geno Smith was 10th in the NFL in that category for quarterbacks that had played a certain number of snaps. So both these guys, I thought at times, took too many chances were a little bit careless with the football, and interceptions were way down for Geno Smith late in the year. I thought he did a better job down the stretch of making smart decisions with the football. Drew Locke played much cleaner in the two starts that he had. One of his picks against the 49ers, he was just trying to make something happen late in the game. It's going to happen. One of them got tipped. Those things are going to happen. I thought his decision-making improved as well, but still, when you're comparing it to the other quarterbacks around the rest of the league, there were there was a bit more aggressiveness, a bit more, I don't want to say carelessness, more recklessness maybe with the football at times from Seattle's quarterbacks. And early in the year, it resulted in a lot of turnovers for Geno Smith. And even late in the season, there were some plays that could have gone the other way. You want to see continued strides in that regard from Seattle's quarterbacks. Second thing that jumps out to me, the poor red zone and third down production. The Seahawks were near the bottom of the league in both of these categories, regardless of whether Geno Smith or Drew Locke played under center. 
This was a consistently poor team in the red zone and third down production. Geno Smith was 36th out of 37 quarterbacks in completion percentage inside the 20-yard line. Drew Locke had his own red zone issues in his limited playing time. Third down was very inconsistent for Geno Smith. They went 9 for 14 against the Cowboys. I thought late in the season that there was a bit more consistency in that aspect of situational football, but Overall, all season long, and this is not all the quarterbacks, the Seahawks had one of the worst situations in terms of yards to go on average on third down. Early downs put them in really difficult spots to move the chains, but still, neither one of these quarterbacks performed very well in those situational aspects of the football game. And last but not least on here, this is for Drew Locke. I mentioned it earlier with the pocket maneuvering for Geno Smith. Drew Locke had his issues when pressure was coming after him this season. When he was pressured in his limited action this year, he only completed 40% of his throws. He really struggled in that aspect of his game. That 5.5% turnover-worthy uh, throws that he had as well, uncorking 8.3% turnover-worthy throws when he was pressured, when opponents were able to get in Drew Locke's face, he really struggled. He was able in that Eagles game to get himself out of pressure a number of times. And the Seahawks offensive line stepped up in that game too. But still, when opponents were able to get after him, it seemed like the backup wielded a little bit under that pressure and it impacted his numbers. He was much more likely to uncork bad passes and make bad decisions with the football. As far as grades are concerned for me, it was not quite as good of a season for Geno Smith this year, but still... I'm giving him an 87, especially with the way he finished this season. Those last four games, he played as well as any quarterback in football. He cut his interceptions down. His completion percentage was up. And you've got to give him kudos for all the game-winning drives, the five game-winning drives, which is the most by any quarterback in the NFL this year. And I thought Drew Locke's two starts. San Francisco, we had the Seahawks ahead briefly in that game, despite having unideal circumstances around him. I thought those two games he started, he played fairly well. And the games he came in as a backup, you know, that's always a difficult situation for any backup to get thrown into the fire in the second half of games. So most of this grade is based on what we saw in those starts, the game-winning drive against the Eagles, playing really tough against the 49ers in a game that was really full of insurmountable odds at that stage of the season. So I'm giving him a B-minus. I thought that the quarterback play overall for Seattle – was pretty solid this year. Geno Smith maybe wasn't quite as good as he was the year before. There were some other underlying circumstances, his health, the offensive line that played a part in that. It didn't seem like the play calling always lined up. They weren't able to get the run game going consistently for either one of these quarterbacks. But overall, these guys stepped up at the end of games. They delivered in clutch situations, and the Seahawks still finished with nine wins this season. A big part of that with the defense struggling as much as it was was these quarterbacks coming through in clutch manner as they did time and time again. So not going to be giving either one of these guys A's, but this was far from the biggest problem for the Seahawks that prevented them from making the postseason. Up next, I'm going to continue breaking down coaching candidates to replace Pete Carroll. We're going to go back to the offensive side of the football with one of the names that a few years ago was pretty hot in the coaching cycle and teams are still taking a look at him, Giants offensive coordinator Mike Kafka. We'll get to information on him coming up next year on our Blue Friday edition of Locked on Seahawks. This episode is brought your way by Prize Picks. 
Prize Picks is the largest independently owned daily fantasy sports platform in North America, and it's the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. You don't have to worry about battling against pros and sharks, thousands of other players. It's just you picking more than or less than on two to six player stat projections to watch the winnings roll in. Prize Picks is so simple to play, I can make my submissions in less than 60 seconds. And now that basketball season's in full swing, we've got the playoffs in football as well. You can still do combo projections in the specials league. For example, you can have Steph Curry and Stefan Diggs at 13 and a half. Three-pointers plus receptions. Prize picks even offers a reboot policy so that your entries stay in play even if one of the players that you have gets injured. For football and basketball games, if you have a player who exits the first half and doesn't return to play, that player is rebooted. Prize picks is the only daily fantasy sports platform that has such an injury insurance policy. Prize picks is an absolute blast each week, and it's an easy way to enjoy daily fantasy without the hassle and land quick winnings. Go to pricepicks.com slash locked on NFL right now and use the code locked on NFL for a first deposit match up to $100. That's pricepicks.com slash locked on NFL and use the code locked on NFL for a first deposit match up to $100. Price picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. You're listening to the Blue Friday edition of Locked on Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. A special thanks to all the 12s out there. Thank you here on this late Friday night for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. The Seahawks kicked off their search for a replacement for Pete Carroll earlier this week, have now interviewed at least three candidates over the past few days, if not more. They've been linked to nine coaches for interview requests. Among those... Mike Kafka, the offensive offensive coordinator, excuse me, offensive coordinator of the New York Giants, working under head coach Brian Dable. And Kafka has kind of been one of those hot, rising, young coaching prodigies the last few years because of the work that he did in Kansas City. He was the quarterback coach in Patrick Mahomes' first four seasons. So, of course, anybody that's been linked to Patrick Mahomes, Eric Bieniemy hasn't been able to get that head coaching job, but certainly he has been one of the best offensive coordinators in the NFL. Andy Reid, given all the credit of the world for his work with Patrick Mahomes, but Kafka was the quarterback coach those first four years, and Mahomes has spoke highly of him. So he turned that into an offensive coordinator job with the New York Giants. Now, if you look at the numbers this year, this season was an absolute disaster for the New York Giants on offense. They lost their starting quarterback, Daniel Jones, midway through the season to a torn ACL. And quite frankly, he was not playing very well early in the season. The Giants finished 30th in scoring offense, 31st in passing yards. With Saquon Barkley, the run game was okay. They were middle of the pack, 29th in touchdowns. They were 21st in turnovers, so they didn't hurt themselves that much. They just weren't very good. And they were playing backup quarterbacks. They had Tyrod Taylor out there. They had an undrafted rookie in Tommy DeVito who had a few shining moments but also got benched a couple times with poor play. So considering that, it's not a surprise that this team was one of the worst in pretty much every offensive metric. They were god-awful in third-down conversion rate. They were one of the worst red zone offensive teams in the league too. But I want to go back to the previous season when the Giants made the playoffs They finished 16th in scoring that year, and that might not seem great, but consider that Daniel Jones had not shown much up to that point. They still were lacking a true number one, maybe even a number two receiver. They didn't have a dynamic tight end. 
Saquon Barkley was coming off a significant knee injury. That was not a team that was expected to put very many points in the board. I think the impressive coach, 16th in scoring with that offense, especially with the way things went this year. So I think that there still may be a feather in the cap here for Mike Kafka. You can go back and say, look, I this season I had two backup quarterbacks and mostly it was Tommy DeVito, an undrafted rookie out of Illinois. And we still managed to beat the Green Bay Packers in one of those games. And then you can go back and look at a full season with Daniel Jones. We made the playoffs. We had a 16th ranked scoring offense with a team that didn't have the talent of some of the teams behind us in that ranking. So I still think that is something that he can hammer home when you're looking from a statistical standpoint. This last year was just really difficult. I don't know how many offensive coordinators could have done much better with the quarterback injuries and and just the overall lack of big play ability that that receiving core in New York has. They had offensive line injuries. Protection wasn't good. The run game was inconsistent. It was just a really ugly year on offense. So rather than dwell on the statistics here, that is instantly going to make Mike Kafka not look good in a coaching standpoint for a head coaching job until you look at the circumstances behind it. I think it's more important to look at the type of coach that we're looking at from a schematic standpoint. And what intrigues me here, this is a little bit more of a Sean McVay style offense in the sense that the Giants were ninth in 11 personnel usage with three receivers, a tight end and a running back on the field. They were in the top 10 in that category, but they also were 12th in 12 personnel. So they used quite a bit of multi-tight end sets, a little bit of 13 personnel, 1.1%. They were 20th in the league in 21 personnel. So unlike some of the other OC candidates that we've looked at for this head coaching position, not a lot of two-back usage in New York, but they used quite a bit of I-form under center, more shotgun heavy. And some of that's because Daniel Jones, when he was playing, that seems to be his best attribute is being able to mix in the read option out of shotgun, use his legs as a runner. So they had a much higher shotgun rate than some of the other coordinators that we have looked at so far. But there are some encouraging things there, seeing that they do run quite a bit of I formation. And Mike Kafka and Brian Dable, Dable was the play caller, but Kafka had his involvement in that. So it's kind of a similar sense to Frank Smith, the Dolphins OC who interviewed with the Seahawks earlier this week, that he's got his hands on the game planning and adjustments aspect He has some experience now being able to get involved in the play calling aspect. So there are some things to be excited about. As far as some of the other stuff that I look at for a coaching candidate, in the run game, the Giants were pretty zone heavy. 60% of their run concepts this year were zone concepts compared to just 39% for gap runs. A lot of teams have been leaning towards the zone run game over the past nine, 10 years, there are a few exceptions out there that run a lot of gap concepts, but this kind of goes with the trends in the national football league right now, where you don't see an encouraging stat. Here's the play action attempts. The giants were 27th in play action pass attempts. They were 27th in play action passing yardage. This was a team that it's bread and butter was the run game. You would have loved to see the passing game, be able to play action off of that more But a lot of this boiled down to the talent they had under center with backup quarterbacks playing, not being able to move the chains. They didn't get near as many plays off as a lot of the other offenses in the NFL. And so the sample size was going to be smaller by default. This was a team that ran a lot more play action in the 2022 season with Daniel Jones healthy, Saquon Barkley healthy, and that offense played much better that season. So again, 
I think it's difficult to look at the statistics here for Mike Kafka in this past season to really reflect on the OC. It was a disaster situation with the injuries and just the overall lack of talent that the Giants have on the offensive side of the football. This is a promising young coach who really knows how to work with quarterbacks. The fact that Tommy DeVito did have that comeback win against the New York Giants, I mean, he deserves some credit for being able to help this young man find a way to will the Giants to some wins when undrafted rookie quarterbacks typically don't find any success if they get thrown into games. So I think there are plenty of things they're encouraging here. My take, though, I could see this being a situation, depending on who the Seahawks hire, that Kafka could be an ideal offensive coordinator candidate. And I know it's a lateral move, but if you would offer him a position where he is the full-time play caller, that may be something that he jumps at. Now, will the New York Giants allow that to happen? That remains to be seen. He is under contract in New York under Brian Dable and his staff, but that might be something worth considering here. I think a number of these coaches could be potential coordinator candidates underneath whoever gets hired depending on their status with their current team and if they allow them to go. Kafka is one of them that I wonder if the Seahawks are talking him in part because they may have some interest in teaming him up with a defensive head coach. They also might seriously be looking at him because they want that offensive mind. Change it for Pete Carroll. Maybe Kafka is one of those guys that aces the interview process and really shows that he is a leader that can really be a galvanizer in the locker room. And John Schneider may gravitate to that. We'll just have to wait and see, but they're going to interview him and we'll see what happens. I think considering the lack of talent on New York's offense, what he did two years ago was impressive. This past season was really a wash with all the injuries and very few OCs, if any in the league, would have had much success with the offense the Giants were putting out there on game day most of the 2023 season. As always, you can follow me on X and Threads at Corbin Smith NFL. Subscribe and follow Locked on Seahawks on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast to make sure you don't miss a single episode. When we come back on Monday, we'll have the latest in coaching news for the Seahawks and we'll be moving to the defensive line for our end of season report card. Enjoy your weekend. Enjoy the divisional round playoff games. Go Hawks.